Hi, I'm Dave Yates. I'm from the Southeast Linux Fest, the lot of LinuxLinux.com, Linux User Podcast, and the Linux Link Tech Show, live from Ohio Linux Fest 2009. You're listening to Linux and the Ham Shack. Hey, y'all, you might not have thought it, but doggone it, we're back, and it's only been two weeks. So here we are. Welcome to Linux in the Ham Shack. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and over there in the Pine Forest, we have that man about town, king of Ohio Linux Fest, Russ. Say hello to everybody, Russ. Hello to everybody, Russ. Oh, no, that's me. Um, This is K5TUX. Uh, from the very sleepy pine forest in north central Arkansas. Still recovering a little bit from Ohio Linux Fest and the fact that I was invited to an HBR roundtable last night, mere hours after returning from OLF and that 13 hour drive back to the house. But I did survive. I did make it through work for the last couple of days and I'm here to podcast again. So what's going on down in the bunker in Balt Springs? Not a whole lot. We've been experimenting. And zapping ourselves and just generally blowing our minds and whining to everybody we can possibly whine to that we weren't able to get to Ohio Linux Fest, the happening place this past weekend. Oh, Russ is going to like put you all to sleep over the next handful of episodes with stuff from Ohio Linux Fest. But that's okay because we're going to recruit some new people. We're going to get them on board because it's my understanding that there was quite a bit of conversation about amateur radio and general Linux type stuff. So we're good to go. All right. Uh, first order business, as usual, I guess we need to get on to the feedback. I don't have a whole lot this time. Uh, let's start with this one. Uh, it's recently, y'all know Paul from over at Teen Radio Journey. He's still working on his license, I, I think. Uh, haven't been keeping in contact as well as I should, I suppose. But he recently posted an update on his blog over at uh, teenradiojourney.com, uh, which gives us a mention, talks about uh, his prog- his progression at this point towards his amateur radio license. And Paul is in the live audience tonight, so when y'all listen to this, just pretend you're listening to us live and clap your hands together for Paul. See, (laughs) somebody did it. Somebody did it. Well, there's only two of us uh, who have audio, so I wonder who that could be. I don't know. Anyway, it wasn't me. And while I'm thinking about it, let me welcome everybody in the uh, chat room this evening. Uh, We have uh, Cheryl, uh, Bill, Lee, Paul. That's uh, M0TZO, 
Paul out there in the United Kingdom. Uh, Paul from Teen Radio Live. And tonight we have our special guest appearance by Russ Winter from the Techie Geek Podcast. If you don't know him from there, you probably know him from over at the uh, Distro Watch Podcast. Uh, he used to do that one. Now he's uh, uh, branched out into bigger and better things. He actually does the uh, Linux program for Windows users. So we'd like to re- welcome Russ and the unidentified you streamer who may or may not eventually tell us who they are. Alrighty, so uh, next order of business on the feedback. I have one from the forums over at blacksparrowmedia.com. Y'all keep forgetting about that. Y'all go over and check it out. But this one's from Kent, V4KEH. And Kent writes, I recently heard Russ on one of HPR's podcasts. Yeah, I'm behind by a few weeks in my listening. Is Linux Outlaws next, guys? No. They let they let me come on there every once in a while. On another note, have either of you considered throwing a Windows 7 party live on the show? Kent, I don't know what you're thinking, man. I really don't. But uh, you know what? That brings us to to something I was thinking about earlier. I know all of y'all have seen all of y'all have seen the new newest Windows Seven app ad, where uh, they got the cute little animals and the cartoon bubbles and all this stuff. And the cartoon bubbles keep saying "best version of Windows ever." And I looked over at my wife and said, "Doesn't take much, do it?" However, at least they're trying. Now, one thing you have to remember before y'all write in the hate mail is that you have to consider that most Linux users are ex-Windows users. Most of the people that say Windows is the greatest thing that ever happened never touched a Linux box. So thank you, thank you, Kent. No, I don't think we'll be doing a Windows 7 party unless Russ just twists my arm, beat me with a stick, or something. So how do you feel about that, Russ? Well, it depends on what kind of Windows 7 party we're looking at. If we're looking at a uh, throw a laptop with Windows 7 out the window party, that that might be an option. I did look yeah. at the <laughs> I did look at the video, the viral videos that were referenced in this or in this. Well, it wasn't in this email or post. It was in another one. Uh, he talks about where he got the idea for the Windows 7 party, and I do have to admit that the viral video commercial that he's referencing here is probably the most unwatchable piece of video six minutes long I've ever seen. And I've seen some pretty bad things that have been mentioned on Twitter that show up on or not Ustream, but uh, YouTube. This pretty much tops them all. So no, I don't think we're going to be having a Windows 7 Live party or anything like that. I have to admit that I actually like Windows 7 as far as Windows goes. But not enough to have a party about it, that's for sure. We still got a long way to go. Well, there you go. I mean, I could have a party if they ever open source it or, I don't know, go into bankruptcy court. Anyway, um, Windows 7, you got you got to love it. it it's going to be one of the greatest boons to, to Apple and the Linux operating system. I'm sure it will. I'm just curious to see how long it takes for a service pack to come out. Alrighty, so uh, moving on, Kent sent another, excuse me. Well, I was just going to say that I think when they give you the free and open source version of Microsoft Windows, you'll get a coupon for a snowball in hell. There you have it. 
and Apple's having some problems. But this is not an Apple podcast. This is a Linux in a ham shack. So unless it's Linux or shack or bacon or hamburgers or beer, no, or something, we're, we're going to continue on. The next message also comes from uh, from KE4KH, Kent up there in, the, uh, in Canada. He says, uh, let's see, take Acer off your Linux-friendly list, which begs the question, and that's him, not me, I don't use that phrase, which manufacturers are Linux-friendly? If this hasn't been covered, I'm a few weeks behind on the podcast, it might make a good topic. By the way, I got an Acer Aspire 2920 laptop for my birthday last year, 1.67 gigahertz uh, Centrino, 2 gigs RAM, 160 gig hard drive. The hard drive came with two equal partitions, Vista on one of them. Did Acer have Linux in mind when they made two partitions? Oh yeah, I put Debian Squeeze on the other and that's where it drops off. I'm sure it's a lot longer. I didn't have a chance to get over to the forums and read all of it. But that's from Kent over at uh, over in uh, yeah, up there v4kh okay can't um we may need to look into that and uh we'll get with uh our friend russ russ weiner winner who's in the uh, chat rooms tonight well yeah everybody wave at russ anyway uh <laughs> we will have to check into that and uh try and get a good list of what is and what isn't now uh I'm sure that Russ has a better answer to this, but I will say this much. I bought an Acer laptop about three years ago, uh, right as Vista was coming out. So uh, I missed out getting XP. I ended up with Vista. And, yes, it did have two equal-sized partitions on the hard drive. And what I found out over time was that that second partition was where it wrote the... uh, what do they call them? Snapshots, whatever, whatever it is Windows does to make that backup for you so you can go and restore it. Restore points, that's what they are. And uh, that's what that partition was for. Now, it being half of the hard drive always seemed kind of strange. But uh, I also, after I found that and figured out that's what it was, I went over to my wife's Windows, Windows XP machine and looked, and it's very similar even though it's not as big. So what do you think about that one, Russ? Well, the only Acers I've ever dealt with are the triple EPCs that have come out recently, and I haven't dealt with an Acer, an actual laptop, only the netbooks. So the the split partition thing, I'm sure they didn't have a dual boot in mind when they did it. Uh, that's a pretty rare circumstance. You can order those kind of things special, and I think Penguin Computing and some of the other ones that offer laptops and desktops with Linux in mind may do a dual boot kind of setup, but as I said, that's pretty rare, and I am i can't think of anything that's been put out that way for sure. When you had yours, was the partition, was that second partition formatted? Yeah, it was. It was formatted NTFS, and uh, uh, it was just sitting there uh, until the first couple of restore points got saved, and then I knew what it was for. Was it was it mounted in the disk manager? Did it have a drive letter, or was it just there? Yeah, and uh, yeah, I believe it did. I check real quick, but as far as I can remember, yes, it did have the uh, did have that mounted as a drive D. Well, it just seems interesting because you can. I mean, Windows can create restore points without having a separate partition. I don't know why it needs one or why they thought that was somehow useful. 
unless there was a case of early on some partition, you know, the um, the fat file system couldn't have partitions larger than a certain size at one point, so maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe it was a holdover from legacy fat partitions or something. I don't know. It seems, it seems a little odd anyway. But Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, and yeah, it's a, uh, okay, it's half the size of the other partition, but it's uh, listed as data, and I think I tried to write to it directly one time, and it wouldn't let me. Seems like an odd occurrence. So anyway, let's just, um, I don't know, what we can uh, agree to disagree on our views on Acer, I think, is, uh, well, one thing is the triple E PCs that I have all seem to work great. I haven't dealt with anything before that, and I haven't had to deal with tech support, but I, but then I'm my own tech support, so I don't deal with anyone's tech support. I have called Microsoft a couple of times, um, and that's always been fun. No one's tech support is up to anyone's standards, though, when you think about it, because they have to go through all their scripts and stuff, and you never get what you think you're supposed to get. That's a that's a topic for another issue, I think. Yeah, we're going to have to look into that, but we definitely do, do need to compile a list of what is Linux-friendly and what is not Linux-friendly. What else have I got on my list? Oh, yes. This is one I actually got a, got a congratulations from 330 on this one. And if y'all don't know 330, y'all go check out Linux Cranks. Once again, it is not family-friendly, so don't play it in front of your wife, your kid, your dog, or your boss. But go check out Linux Cranks. It's an This is an article over at lxer.com, which is a Linux news site, blog-type news site, uh, with different information and stuff. And it is uh, the article's labeled Ohio Linux Fest Report, 40 Years of Unix. And why this came to my attention is about halfway down. I will read the pertinent parts. Uh, of the exhibitors, three got my particular interest. The Columbus I- Idea Foundry. That's a good project. Uh, Linux and Hamshack. And the Free Software Foundation. Maybe not so great a project. But if you go down a little bit further... Yeah, Russ is going to scowl at me. Anyway, uh, Linux and Hamshack is, is exactly what it sounds like. Looking at their setup and talking to the staff at the table reinvigorated my desire to get my amateur radio license. They strongly suggested an online study guide as well as a nearby cram session that concludes with the technician class test. And uh, that's the pertinent part from where I see it. I would suggest you all go and read the whole article. It's dated uh, the 28th, which would have been yesterday. You can go on over to lxer.com, lxer.com, and uh, go ahead and uh, click on the link, and it'll carry you on over there. If y'all been listening, if y'all been, uh, y'all follow me on Twitter or something, I posted a couple days ago. Those of y'all that are following on Facebook, I posted it over there. We'll even get it posted on the website sometime. So what do you think about that one, Russ? We're getting, like, press well, that was kind of the point of going to Ohio Linux Fest. You know, there was the learning opportunities, there was meeting all of the folks, and then there was sitting at the exhibition and getting everybody to come to us so we could display our product and tell everybody how much they'll learn from Linux in the Hamshack. And I posted on the website a little while ago about the raffle we had, and I'll bring that back up in a few minutes. But I know we had three or 400 people at least come by the booth and... Almost all of them had something to say to us, so it was really, really fun experience. I know they said that the total amount of people who passed through the 
The conference on Saturday was about 1,100, maybe between 1,100 and 1,200. So we got a good portion of those. And I think uh, our being there was great. And I even got an email earlier tonight about the raffle from one of the people who came up to the booth who thanked us for being there. So that was nice. I, I can look that one up and find out who it was here in a minute. But So what do you think about that? Well... That was the reason for going. I myself am just uh, amazed that you were able to display your product in the middle of Ohio Linux Fest and did not get arrested. Of course, I'm sure Cheryl was probably running interference for you. Different product. That was... (laughs) Never mind. I'm not... (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. I forgot. We got women and children in here. I better behave myself. So, that pretty much wraps it up on my side. So, what do you got on... uh, Got out on the table for feedback this time around, Russ. Well, there was a comment on post on a post on the website for episode number 22. And this is from Matt, KC8BEW, who, by the way, was at uh, the Ohio Linux Fest and spent a lot of time wandering around us. And he actually helped us out a little bit with setup and teardown and uh, even handled a few people who walked by the booth when we got particularly slammed. So I want to thank matt for showing up and giving us some assistance when we needed it his uh post here says i was looking at chirp and it sounds like it only works with icom radios do you know if it's going to support other manufacturers in the future and i didn't have a chance to look at chirp now you you did uh before the last episode because you mentioned it yeah let me look that back up real quick because uh, I was looking at that just the other day, and I think it supports uh, more radios than just the ICOM. Well, Matt seems to think it supports <clears throat> just ICOM, so <clears throat> while you're looking that up, I'm going to throw in a mention here that on the 20th of this month, back about a week ago, we received another donation, a generous donation, actually, from Ken S. We don't want to embarrass anyone unduly if that's not the way they want to go but ken s sent us a very nice donation and it's actually going to go in a pot that i have started on the website i've removed the regular donation and contribution link and put in a little thermometer and i put in a special goal that we have because matt thought that after this is kc8bew again he thought after our appearance at Linux at Ohio Linux Fest that we would probably do really well at the Dayton Hamvention, which is only about 50 miles away from where OLF happened in Dayton, Ohio. And so I decided that, you know, that sounds like a really good goal to set, and I would really like to have our booth that we had set up at the Dayton Hamvention. The only problem is the cost for the booth at the Hamvention is about 10 times what it cost at OLF. And that's not something I can pocket myself or pull out of my pocket myself. So I'm really hoping that our listeners will be generous enough to help us get to the 2010 Dayton Hamvention. And I plan on trying to match our donations, so we only should have to get half of what we need, but the more the merrier. I'm I'm happy to hear that uh, that's up there. I saw that when I went over there earlier and was kind of wondering what was going on because I think Russ is going to try and get me on a plane. Boy, is he in for a surprise. <laughs> no, I'm actually going <laughs> to. I drove to Columbus, so I'm actually going to drive to Dayton. The only thing is, if you're going to go, you're going to have to drive from Dallas up to where I am. Oh, Missouri. Oh, well, we'll we have plenty of time because Dayton is in the spring. 
All righty. So, uh, you know, uh, talking about Chirp, I know it. Way Dan's got his play, his uh, website set up. It's all wikis and that kind of stuff, and sometimes it takes a while to go through there and find what's what. Yes, it does appear to be primarily for the D-Star radios. However, uh, it also appears that you would be able to use just about any radio which uses ICF or CSV files. And for those of you who are really into programming your radios, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, I will try and get you all more info on this. But uh, the upside is uh, he's writing it where it will run on Windows also. So for those of you that listen to us that are still using Windows, that are picking us up for the ham radio content, Chirp does also work for that. I was going to work on uh, Chirp and D-Star a little more this week, but I've been busy watching people's cars sit in their driveway. So uh, we will get back to you on Chirp. Well, I don't really have much to add on Chirp. You pretty much nailed it there. <laughs> well, that's pretty that's pretty much it on Chirp, y'all. And uh, I was going to plug one of my radios up. Unfortunately, my serial port got uh, stuck doing something else. So you got anything else over there, Russ? Don't have anything else in the way of feedback that pretty much took everything i've got are you uh, out of ammunition on that side oh i got a couple things i can run my head about but uh your stuff is always will always take priority so what you got oh i, I just said i don't have anything so run well, your head why then why didn't you say that i did say that <laughs> oh well i knew i heard it someplace <laughs> all right now we have gone off track again we do that a lot however let's do this Y'all come on down to Belton, Texas this weekend, October the 3rd, down at the Bell County Expo Center, and enjoy yourself in the Belton Ham Expo. The held Belton Ham Expo is held twice a year, and this happens to be the weekend that is one of those twice a year. And who knows, while you're down there, you may even see my shining face roaming around down there because I plan on dragging my photographer down there with me. We're going to meet up with Jerry Taylor from... Uh, uh, practical amateur radio podcast and we're all going to hang out and do things and just blow people's minds and just show them what it's all about we're going to try and show so don't miss it this weekend at the bell county expo center belton ham expo fall 2009 be there 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 you're going to have your own glory on this weekend because i won't get a chance to get down to dayton or yeah dayton belton i won't get a chance to get down to belton so you and uh, you and Jerry are going to tear it up down there. I actually tell you the truth. Your uh, Belton Ham Expo is your average run-of-the-mill ham fest. We'll go down there. We'll glad hand a few people. We'll talk to a few folks. Occasionally, some of the bigger bigger boys show up down there. Amsat, some of the others. But uh, we're darn sure going to get down there and meet some people, maybe try and get some audio happening and see, see what we can come across. If y'all have a chance to get down there, it's only about two 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 hours south of Dallas, Texas, and uh, same distance north uh, northwest to Houston. But luckily, those of y'all in Austin, it's only about an hour away. So <laughs> it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Okay, so if we don't have any more feedback, we don't have any more announcements. Uh, I guess we probably need to play some music, Russ. All right, I'll dig something out of the new well of Creative Commons music. I'll play it here. Well, after I stop talking, then we'll come back on the other side with something else. 
as y'all know, uh, Russ made it on up to Ohio Linux Fest this uh, past weekend, and I think we're going to reach over and unhook the leash and let him have at it for a few minutes. So, Russ, uh, tell us about Ohio Linux Fest. Well, Ohio Linux Fest was a lot of fun. It was more fun, actually, than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to turn out to be a lot of work on my part and not a lot of entertainment value, seeing that I was looking at it from the exhibitor perspective. But Friday turned out to be a lot of fun. I attended most of the sessions in the early Penguin track, which was a free education session. And they were all really, really interesting. And some of those topics we're going to talk about in the next episode, not this one. Right now, I have a lot of information from Ohio Linux Fest, and I don't want to give all of it away all at once because this episode will be about four hours long. But what I do have is some audio that I recorded at Ohio Linux Fest. I turned out to be in a part of the exhibition which you could term Podcaster's Row because everybody who was around me was from a podcast or doing a podcast at Ohio Linux Fest. Down on one end there was uh, NOOSS, which is a podcast, and they were broadcasting the whole time. They believe they were doing live streaming. The Linux Link Tech Show was next to me on one side, and they were streaming as well and podcasting. They got an interview with me at some point, and hopefully I'll get the audio from that uh, pretty soon, or if I don't, you can get that at the Linux Link Tech Show. And on the other side of me was the Security Justice Podcast. They're over at hack5radio.com. And that was the first I'd heard of them, but they're a bunch of nice guys, and they do a live streaming podcast as well. For clarification, Hack 5 Radio is spelled without a C. It's H-A-K-5 Radio. That's the number five. And so there was a lot of podcasting going on, and I was right in the middle of it. And I had microphones and audio gear set up, and I got a lot of people walking by and general conversation and conversation with people who stopped by the booth. But I did have some formal segments, a couple of interviews, and uh, some stuff that I'm going to throw into later episodes, which I don't want to talk about right now because it's kind of a surprise for Richard. I'm trying to get him to smile over there. He's not. He, he's kind of blanking out on me. Are you blanking out on me? No, I'm uh, checking something. All right. Well, anyway, so what we're going to do is we're going to fill up the second segment of episode number 23 with a couple of the interviews and some of the random audio of interest that I got at Ohio Linux Fest. This is all from Saturday during the exhibition. We had plenty of people come by, and lots of people wanted to say stuff. And there will be some random audio segments that show up throughout episodes in the future, and you'll know when those happen. Believe me, it's uh, pretty obvious. So we'll step aside here and uh, play some of that audio, and when we come back on the other side, after the audio and another bit of music, we have Richard, who's going to talk about Zaster. We'll be back in a little bit. Hello, this is Russ, K5TUX, and this is Linux in the Ham Shack. We are podcasting live from Ohio Linux Fest. Had uh, about an hour and a half worth of activity here so far. Uh, we've been told that there are probably about 1,375 attendees registered, not counting those that will be coming in the door on their own. And so far, we've had some excellent response to our booth here at the Expo. We're sitting among Podcasters Row. There are several different podcasts, including the Linux Link Tech Show to our left. And on the right, we have uh, Security Justice, another podcast about computer security. 
everybody who listens to us probably listens to the Linux Link Tech Show at least. We'll have more on this a little bit later on. It's about 12.06, and we have a regular listener. I'm going to call him a regular listener, even though he doesn't. Uh, Matt, K-C-8-B-E-W, and I almost didn't have to look at your name tag for that. (laughs) Hey, just like other hams, that's not a problem there. (laughs) That's why we wear name tags. Yeah, my, my grip on call signs is about as good as my grip on names, which is not at all. So anyway, uh, thanks for stopping by, Matt. Hey, not a problem. Um, Matt's actually helped us out a little bit at the convention here, running a few errands and so on and so forth. So we really appreciate that. Glad to help. Well, uh, first of all, I'd like to find out when you got your ham license. Oh, man, I got my ham license back in 1995. 1995. 1995. Um, so did you pass the code see. test? or did you, that? Did you pass the code test? or No, it's tech only. Okay. Uh, and I started out by, I was at Boy Scout camp, and I had my bunkmate say, hey, could you uh, read me these test questions for general? He was going to upgrade. So I'm like, yeah, I can do that, and I'm reading some of this, and some of them I'm like, this is like a no-brainer, you know? Not all of them, obviously, but some of them. So I'm like, hey, you know, this is this is pretty cool. So then it ended up, he started asking me questions from the tech stuff, and I was asking him questions for the general. And by the end of the summer, we had six weeks. By the end of the summer, did some practice exams, went and took my test in October. All right. I was so able to get it, first shot. I was happy. <laughs> it sounds sounds like you had a good uh, study partner to work with there. Oh, so. yeah. It, you know, I'd been wanting to get it for a while anyway. Right. And hadn't gotten to that point. So, um what, did you do anything with your ticket as a technician, or did you just wait and go right to general and then well, start working with no, it? No, I got my general here just a couple years ago. Um, so I've been doing everything as a tech up to that point. And actually worked, when I got my general, I was like, all right, I'm going to make it as a, uh, as a uh, give myself a limit. So I got a year from taking the written to get my code. That's what I'm going to do. So I went and I took my test, my written test. And they're, they're even like, you know, this is just written. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Next month, they did away with code. So you got like, a little no, lucky come there. on. What's the deal here? Right. But uh, that's still uh, that's still my dream to be able to go with my son or both of them to Philmont Scout Ranch in New Mexico, sit on the tooth of time, throw out a wire, and, you know, do uh, code off of the tooth of time. That's that's what I want to do with a with a hand built uh, like the tuna tin uh, radio and a wire and a key and do that. That's what I want to do. All right. Well, just let us know when you get that done so we can talk about it. Sounds I got a like couple fun. years. <laughs> yeah. well, that's all right. We'll be around. We'll have sec- time. Uh, he's in his second year of Cub Scouts right now, so we're we got a, we got time for me to get that in. So. Good. Good. Sounds good. So, uh, what what brings you out to Ohio Linux Fest? Well, this is the third year I've been here, and uh, you know you get to see the uh, get to talk to people that actually use the stuff face to face. Sit down. It's you know a lot of times it's a lot easier to sit down and actually work with somebody on something and uh, see what's going on that way. So I start coming out here, uh, do the enthusiast package, so I don't pay anything. Right. And uh, then, of course, this year you know here in off the podcast and you guys were going to be out here or you were going to be out here i was like oh great be able to get to see one of you in person which is nice 
Well, we would have brought and also meet your wife. <laughs> we would have brought Richard if we could, but Cheryl did fill in for us in her uh, usual duties. She's <laughs> helping out quite nicely with the booth here. So, have you found anything in wandering around that strikes your interest around here? Or? Uh, actually, had one of the which you know had one of the fedora guys try to help us out here, and and uh, uh, you know throwing a, a distro on a thumb drive was actually uh, you know fairly simple from how he did it. Um, Apparently, but, a little uh, too simple because it didn't work. Well, so. it didn't work. I know that, but that's. <laughs> He had problems getting it on the thumb drive, right. too, and that's my hardware, I think. But anyway. Well, we might try it again later, but we're having a little problem with Internet connectivity we, here. Cause I may break out the laptop and we'll try to build one ourselves. So That'll work. But uh, I wish I had thought about this beforehand, but of course I didn't. <laughs> so so how long have you been in our war? When did you find Linux in the Hamshack? Uh, let's see. Episode 10 or 11. Okay. I think it was. Did you go back and listen to them yeah, all? Or got them all. Got them all. Went yeah. back and listened to them all, picked it up. You know, I got I drive almost an hour one way to work, so I pop it on the Sansa and and plug it into the stereo and run it in the car. Which Sansa do you use? Uh, it's the E E two sixty four gig. Yeah, four gig. Uh, Richard's big into the Sansa, so he'll be happy to hear that he used yeah. one. I'm going to rock box mine. I, yeah. I don't have it. I haven't done it yet, but uh, I got downloaded. In fact, I was going to do it for this weekend, but I forgot. So, had other things come up. Like Ohio Linux Fest, right? Like That's Ohio, a, Linux, like Ohio Fest Linux Fest, exactly. Got that drill next week, so kind of kind of getting prepared for that last minute <laughs> stuff. All right. Well, we're going to move on to some other things here, but it was nice to talk to you, Matt. Thanks for stopping by. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Glad I was able to help. Well, thank you. It's good to have you. And I'm uh, sure we'll uh, mention you again when we come around to the podcast that when, when we wrap up Ohio Linux Fest. So this is Russ K5TUX. I'm going to go away for a little while. We'll come back in another half hour, another hour with an update from OLF 2009. Hello, this is Russ K5TUX again. We're about another hour into the Ohio Linux Fest. It's about 11.15 in the morning. Things have been going quite well. We've had quite a few AM radio operators come through the convention so far, and several people who have been very interested in ham radio, as well as people who are Windows users that I've tried to sell on using Linux. I've got DVDs available to give away of our first 22 episodes of the program, and I've given those away to several people who are interested in the program. I've actually been a little bit surprised at the very high interest in ham radio and Linux in the ham shack here. It's, it's run very, very well for us so far. And Matt, KC8BEW, a regular listener to the podcast, has been wandering around and donated some ham radio gear for us to use uh, on our display table. He also suggested that we should probably bring Linux in the Ham Shack to the exposition down at the Dayton Hamvention next year in May, and we are definitely planning on doing that. I don't know if we'll be able to drag Richard out of Texas for that, but I certainly hope so. And to that end, we are going to start a donation fund drive in order to get people to see if, or in order to see if we can get people to contribute to 
providing our booth space or to helping us get our booth space at the Dayton Hamvention. We understand that the goal is about $650 is what it takes to get a booth at the Dayton Hamvention, and we would really like to do that. I'm certainly willing to pitch in whatever is necessary to cover any differences, but if we could get our listeners to help us out, and maybe we could see everybody out in Dayton next year, that would be great. I'll have another report in about a half hour or 45 minutes from Ohio Linux Fest 2009. How you doing? How you doing? Good. Good. Ham <clears throat> radio operator? Huh? Extra? Jim Garrett uh, from Baltimore, KB3ORA, uh, checking out some of the stuff that's here. So what do you got? Just logging? Looks like some logging contacts? Um, yeah, I, I've got several applications running over here. I've got uh, FLDigi, mm-hmm. uh, Ham Radio Deluxe running underline, yep. and uh, Xlogger, and then G-Predict over here in G-Rig for uh, rig control satellite tracking. It's just trying to pull up a few different... Yeah, uh, I use uh, Ham Radio Deluxe. <laughs> yeah. Ham Radio Deluxe is kind of hit or miss under Linux, but uh, yeah. do you use it under Linux or do you no, use it? No, I don't. Use yeah, I, got, I got one Windows machine I have to keep because there's some other software development stuff that only runs under Windows. Right. Things like that. It doesn't like to play light. Well, so, nice so you have an excuse. You've already got a Windows machine, so you can write. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got a, I got quite a few. Well, I got quite true. a few of them. Yeah. Neat. So do you have any Linux machines? Or? I'm so, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What, what uh, version oh, of Oh, God, I'm running... Ubuntu 904 on one of them. I'm running uh, Fedora 410, I think it is, on the other one. Uh, I got uh, under virtual machines, I got a bunch of them that I play with. Yeah. Ubuntu, Ubuntu, you know, Fedora series, Sufi, just a bunch of things I play around with. So, but for the, yeah, for my radio, I got a uh, ICOM. And with the ICOM, I use HRD yeah. uh, to run that with. So. It's good right. stuff. I like it. Have Works you listened to the well. show? Have you heard of the show? I'm sorry? Have you heard of our show? Or? No, I have not. No, I have not. Where are you at? With well, uh, I mean, do you listen to any podcasts? Oh, yeah. Or? Okay, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, if you want to take a card, it's yeah. got our information on it, uh, information where you can download uh, and get the feed. I'm not familiar. I'll have to check that one out. That's why we're here. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.
before we move on to this uh, segment we got planned for this time around is there some questions going on in the chat room as i said earlier in the in the podcast uh tonight we have uh one individual russ winter from uh the techie geek podcast in the chat room with us and uh he's uh talked about a couple of his friends over on his blog and and that kind of stuff uh that are amateur radio operators, and he was asking some questions. And even though we've gone over this ground way back, let's go over it again really quick. So, first question that came up was, is ham radio an expensive hobby? Well, amateur radio is one of those hobbies where it can be as expensive, it can be as inexpensive as you like, or as expensive as you like, depending on what kind of equipment you want to have and that kind of stuff, whether you want to build your own stuff and, and that kind of stuff. One of the other gentlemen said, if you can use a soldering iron, then it could be very cheap. Now, uh, there's also, we've talked about uh, Paul, M0TZO, and uh, Pete, M3PHP's website, hamtest.net. And uh, that's one of those places where you can go, and it's a really good and well-thought-out site. Y'all can go over there and uh, check out some practice tests and stuff like that, and uh uh, even if you're planning on upgrading, it's a great place to go. And uh, I believe we have the link up over at the website, so y'all can go over there and check that out. Another question that got asked was, do you have to learn Morse code? Now, for those of you within the sound of my voice that are not amateur radio operators, you no longer have to pass a Morse code test to uh, get your amateur radio license. Uh, several years back, it was abolished altogether. A few years before that, it was knocked down five words a minute for all license classes but at this point you do not have to have it in fact since there's not an entry requirement for morse code there's more people using it than there were when it was required m0tzo and m3php's other hamtest site for those of you who are outside the u.s almost forgot is hamtest.co.uk hamtest.co.uk uh you folks in great britain y'all go take a look um i haven't been over there in a while uh, I think that's probably the main area that those uh, those exams cover. So in the US.net, in the UK.co.uk. All right, and we had another question in there about radio, I think. Well, there was also mm-hmm. a question from Russ about, do you need to put up a crazy high antenna? And the answer is, not unless you really want to. There are books and books and books, and in fact, the ARRL, has a huge antenna book, and there are hundreds more out there about what to do when you want to put up an antenna. And an antenna can be anything from a piece of wire to a you know 400 foot tall tower with a beam on top. And of course, anything over a certain height, usually you have to get approval from the FAA to put up. But 
people will turn anything, I say people, ham radio operators can turn anything into an antenna from a shower curtain rod to a regular curtain rod to a piece of wire to some copper tubing to you name it, whatever. You can, if you, if you can make it resonant on a certain frequency, someone's going to use it as an antenna. And the fact of the matter is right now, uh, I just noticed today when I was checking to see where one of my cables went, I've got a piece of uh, speaker wire hanging out the window that at one point was part one end of a 160-meter antenna uh, for working the 160-meter band, and it was only about seven feet off the ground run down the fence line in the yard. Uh, a lot of the antennas I've run over time went and bought me a spool of wire, in fact, and uh, made my own antennas. And a lot of times I've made them for less than 10 bucks a piece. And they can be put up in the air, down close to the ground, in the attic. In fact, there's one particular uh, mode called uh, Near Vertical Incident Skywave, or NVIS. And it sounds a lot more complicated than it is. But what it boils down to is an antenna that is uh, placed less than a quarter wave above the ground. Uh, or even less than an eighth of wave. And I know some guys who have effectively worked stations across the country and around the world on antennas that were only about 12 inches off the ground. So uh, there are lots of unique and innovative ways to get in inexpensively. And uh, as Paul in the chat room has mentioned, you know, you can't get away with just uh, using a VHF, UHF handy talkie. Paul uh, asked, this is Paul Shirey, not... Paul M0TZO. That would be Big Paul and Little Paul. Yeah, so Little Paul asked about file systems, and his question was, this week I've made a 110-gigabyte file storage system out of two machines running Linux, and will add another machine soon. I was wondering if there was any software I can use to link the shared folders together to make one big shared folder, because currently it is two different shared folders. There is software out there for making folders uh, for doing virtual directories, which encompass uh, more than one physical partition or physical file system, or even physical device. This is a pretty complicated topic if you're talking about one machine. If you're talking about two machines, it becomes an extremely difficult topic. And in any case, I'm going to get some more specifics from Paul on what he's trying to do here and put together a screencast so I can show how this will actually go together because it's way too complicated to try and explain by explaining it. It would only be feasible to show in a screencast where you can actually see what's going on because I have a feeling that the best way to do it is to use specialized file systems like AFS, which actually allow this kind of thing. And it may require actually starting with uh, blank partition tables on both machines or even on a singular machine to set this kind of thing up. So it's a, it's a pretty complicated topic. The answer, the short answer is it can be done. But as I said, this is a, a topic for a screencast and I will put together once I get some specifics on it. Amateur radio is kind of like Linux. You know, you can make it as easy or as complicated as you like, just depending on what you want to do. All right, so uh, I think what we'll do yeah, is let us dive off into a the world of APRS. We've had a lot of questions about APRS uh, come up, and Russ and I keep giving our standard answer, which is we don't know. However, 
that's only working to a point and we're finally getting to the point that uh nobody's taking that anymore because they think we're smarter than we are so uh what we gonna do is uh, we're gonna talk about zastar i took upon myself a few days back to install zastar x-a-s-t-i-r zastar zister zastar x aster whatever you want to call it it's an aprs program uh, for those of you who don't know what APRS is, that's Automatic Position Reporting System. And uh, basically, it's a way to make sure that your car is in your driveway. Now, let me throw out the qualifier. All of you that listen to the other show know this. I am not a big fan of APRS. However, for you, my listeners, our listeners are favorite people because y'all are the only ones that like me because nobody that actually deals with me on a day-to-day basis, basis can stand me. So, because we like y'all, I went out and did this for you people. I decided to take it upon myself to put together a Zastar station. So uh, I was sitting around a few nights ago, and I got to reading on their website. They have a fairly extensive wiki. There's a lot of areas that are incomplete, a lot of areas where the information is not overly plentiful. But I did get to reading, got to thinking about it, and one of the the main thing that stopped me from attempting packet radio on Linux was the fact that when I first got into Linux, I was running uh, SUSE Linux, and the fellow that turned me on to it told me that I was going to have to roll my own kernel, and I had no idea what he was talking about. I went over, he showed me, I come back home, I went in, I turned on the appropriate stuff, and I recompiled the kernel. Four days later, I wasn't any closer to, to it than where I was in the first place, so I pretty much gave up. But... With Ubuntu, and we're talking about Ubuntu, you may have to do things slightly differently with different distros. Currently, the machine I'm running as my day-to-day, use-it-for-everything, test-stuff-out-for-y'all machine runs Ubuntu 904. So, what I did find in the wiki is that you could go in and type in a command, and it would tell you if the X25 was active in the kernel. If you go into a terminal and you type grep, AX25, uh, grep space, AX25 space slash proc slash K-A-L-L-S-Y-M-S, K-A-L-L-S-Y-M-S, and hit return. If the AX25 is uh, active in your kernel, you'll get back a message, which basically translates the last part of them are uh, trans underscore net underscore AX25 underscore table trans underscore net underscore ax25 underscore param underscore table and if you get that message back it's active now i didn't do anything special to this 904 to try and get the ax25 running so apparently it's already on in the kernel all you have to do is fire things up so if i hit it again i get the same thing now, this information is available in the wiki. It's kind of hard to find, but it's there. Uh, when you go to the Zastar wiki, look under How to AX25, and that it'll give you that information. Now, if you go over to the wiki and you read through that page, stop there. Don't read the rest of the page because we're talking about a minimal installation, and that's where I stopped. Because then it starts getting into some complicated stuff that will take you some time to do. Let me tell y'all, from the time I decided to put things together Sunday afternoon, 
uh, two hours later, I was up and running. So let's go back over here. I, what I did is I went and found my HTX 202, which I was using to run a Winlink station over here. I elected not to hook up the 150 watt, 175 watt amplifier that I have uh, for that purpose. I located the uh, PK232 MBX, which I used for packet, and uh, it still had the cables attached to it. Dug out a little power supply that was big enough to run the both of them, and uh, a couple of cables, and plugged into the serial port on my computer. Then I did what we always tell y'all, which is I went to the package manager. But this would be a good place to stop and see if Russ has any questions. No, I'm actually following along. I'm also inciting a riot in the chat room. No, I'm not doing that. But uh right. <laughs> So, no, go ahead. Everyone is uh everyone is being lulled to sleep by this talk about disaster. And if they're not, that means they're really interested. Apparently they're wrapped. They've either been wrapped on the knuckles or something. Gift wrapped. There you go. All right. So, uh now we know the equipment I'm, and it's equipment I already had. You know, I've been running packet radio for years and I don't, one of the reasons I don't like APRS is because I ran real packet for so long. But I, I went ahead and assembled the parts and pieces. I plugged the, uh, plugged the, uh, serial cable into the COM port. I went over to the package manager. As I've told y'all before, you can use whatever package manager, manager you like. I like Synaptic. That's the one I used. I downloaded the stuff. I hit the, hit the, uh, or, uh, went into the terminal because it doesn't place anything into the menu. You'll have to put a, put an icon in the menu for yourself or put one on the desktop, whatever. I went into a terminal. I typed, typed in Zastar and it said, eh, can't do that. And then I asked it why. And it was because I had to, uh, doggone. I can't remember what the, uh, command was. Are you having a nice little chat with your computer over there or what? Who, me? Yeah, you. You asked it. I always ask my computer stuff. Does it respond? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes. Can I have what you're, oh. can I, uh, be on what you're on? I'm sorry? <laughs> can I have some of what you're doing? <laughs> Hey, <laughs> let me tell you, I had a guy walk up to me the other day. I said, oh, by, hello, by, and we're talking for a few minutes. I go, oh, by the way, my name's Richard. And he says, I know. <laughs> I have no idea who the guy was. But anyway, uh, one step I left out is I went ahead and loaded Minicom so that I could check my uh, serial port and make sure that I had good communications to the TNC and so I could put the TNC in KISS mode. Now, for those of you who have run TNCs, KISS mode is where it's at because the software will tell it everything to do. You don't have to worry about the firmware on board. But when I went to load Minicom, it freaked out. Apparently, Minicom does not like Bash. So I was finally able to coax it to uh, uh, fire up in a different shell and went in and checked it and got the parameters set and got it initialized and set into KISS mode. Now, the uh, TNC's in KISS mode, I go back to Zastar, and I fire the thing up. It fires up with the ugliest map I ever saw. And for some reason, I'm sitting in the middle of the Indian Ocean. But that's okay, because I went to the uh, setup screen, 
And once again, a real heavy-duty setup of this thing is going to be much more involved. For, but for those of y'all that want to get on the air quickly, listen to the sound of my voice. Now, in the main screen, you've got a menu up top, just like you do in most other applications. So up at the top, first you'll see fi the file menu, and that's print, and there's a configure screen, uh, or configure uh place to go to configure there where you put in your station information, defaults, timing, coordinates, how, how you want it to read the coordinates, audio alarms. This Zastar, I didn't know this, will, if you have it set up right, will even give you voice prompts, which is really cool. Smart beaconing for those of y'all that have run APRS and know what that is. Um, there's a place to change fonts, but it's not very easy. And then a couple other things and a place to save the configuration. And then it's got some buttons down the side so you can uh, pick what you want to have go into the log for debugging purposes and stuff like that. Now you move over to view and you've got different stuff. You've got a screen you can bring up that will show incoming data packets, uh, message traffic, bulletins, show only the mobile stations, the information coming off of them and stuff. And all this stuff comes up in a in a dialog window. As far as maps, you can pull down maps off the internet for free. This is not like some of the, uh, like uh, UI Youth and uh, some of the other APRS programs where you have to go out and purchase maps for them and, or purchase map programs to make maps to put in them and that kind of stuff. Uh, the maps they're pulling down, they are free of charge. So there's a place to choose the maps you're gonna use, uh, locate different features, center and zoom, that kind of stuff. There's a choice up top where you can uh, that's labeled station. You can use it to find stations. You can track a moving station. Uh, you can fetch the find you trail, which for those of you that are familiar with APRS, you know what find you is. For those that don't, don't worry about it right now. Uh, anyway, you can export that data. You can filter the data. There's an awful lot of things you can do with this program as far as the information you're looking for. Next, you'll see one labeled interface, and interface is where where you're going to make it work. Now, we talked about downloading it via uh, via the package manager, getting it installed in a basic install and everything else. Once you do that, you're going to have to set up your interfaces. Now, you're going to have one of a handful of different interfaces. Uh, the first one, which I suggest that everybody use, is the inter Internet Server Interface. And what that means is you'll set up a port, a device, a virtual device in Zastar, which will uh, pull a server out on the Internet. They have a list of uh, different servers that you can get off the site, but there's one suggested server that uh, is the easiest information to find from the, the outset, and that would be the, uh, what is that, rotateaprs.net port 14.580. And that will take you in. It will bring the packets to you from APRSFI and some of the other servers out there on the net and uh, all these gateways and that's what we're talking about setting up here at least in this instance uh, a gateway out to the internet so it all gets uh, put together out there and spit back out so everybody can see everybody I can see cars moving in Russ's neck of the woods if I want to so now you've got that device set up and it's not real hard you go down at the bottom you click the button and uh, uh, add a device. Now, device one, which would be your second device, is the one that you're going to have on air. The one I have on air right now 
happens to be my trusty old PK-232 and a realist, realistic HTX-202 handy talkie, which gives me uh, the ability to hear stations within 35 miles. And my antenna is only up 20 feet. Same deal with that, but when you go in go to add the device, it's going to ask you to, for one of three or four different types of TNCs. Serial TNC, a serial TNC with GPS hooked up, uh, serial GPS unit. You know, there's other other things you can hook up to this. Weather station, internet server, which is what we were talking about just a while ago. AX25 TNC, which is different than what we're running here. An AX25 TNC is using the stuff in the kernel and uh, all the AX25 tools and AX25 apps to make it, make it work. A networked GPS system a networked weather system, or serial TNC with G- with GPS, or a serial KISS TNC, which is what we're running here. We're running a TNC in KISS mode. Now, there's a couple more, network database, a networked AGWPE, and for you guys that have run APRS or any kind of packet on uh, sound card packet on Windows, you're probably familiar with the uh, AGW packet engine. That's what that would be all about. Or a multi-port KISS TNC. Now, some of the Cantronics TNCs will do multi-port. There's several of them out there that will, and all that means is that you're able to run two radios off one TNC at the same time. This PK-232, you can run two radios on them, but you can't run two radios simultaneously. It's designed for one side to probably run on VHF, UHF, and the other side run on HF, and not both at the same time. Anyway, so once you have all that added in and you save it, uh, that's pretty much all I had to do to start getting a signal. Uh, I fired up the uh, Internet server side and started getting hits for everything here locally in this area. Uh, I backed out and was able to see stations all over the country. I'm sure if I had backed out, backed out all the way, I probably would have seen them all over the world. So I shut down that interface, opened up the on-air interface, and opened up the uh, went back over to view and opened up that incoming data window and started watching the packets coming through. So cool, that was working. I went over and. Uh, went over to, uh, what was it, Interfaces, and clicked Transmit Now. And when I clicked Transmit Now, the radio keyed up. I could sit there and see it key up. So to make sure all this was working, I went out to uh, APRSFI. And what I ended up on was a Google map showing the area around me, and there my station was. And as I changed my uh, station comment which I changed it to reflect our website, lhsinfo.org, haha, uh, in case y'all forgot what it was, uh, and put it in my comment field and was able to see that change over on the map at Google. So, up and running it was. Now, some things I want to talk, tell y'all about before we go. Russ is snoring, I can hear him. <laughs> There you have it. Okay, so this is not going to be as hard to set up as if you as it would be if you were going to try and set up a copy of F6FBB bulletin board or a copy of the node 
node software or a copy of uh, uh, Rose Node Server or something like that, like we used to do all the time on the uh, on the Windows side. This is going to be a fairly simple setup, fairly easy to do, and I strongly suggest you use the guidance that's available in the wiki to get it set up. Like I said, once you've checked to see if the AX25 is working in your kernel, back out of that how-to AX25 page or you're going to start getting mired down in a bunch of stuff that you're probably not prepared for. One thing I do want to share with y'all is the fact that this thing can be loaded in Windows. It can be loaded in um, OS X. I know that it's uh, it can be compiled to run under any version of Linux. There are how-tos on the site for Fedora, Ubuntu, Debian, SUSE, Sabian, and uh, Gentoo for sure. It will run under BSD for those of y'all who are twisted that direction. And your best friend is going to be the wiki over there. Now, the only reason I brought it to you this way is for those of you that are newer. Uh, compiling software sometimes can turn into a little bit of a challenge, especially if you don't know what you're doing. So you can get it down from the package repository and get it up and working. For those of you that have a little more experience with this kind of stuff, go get the freshest version. Uh, it is available. They're doing aggressive development on this program, so it's changing day by day. Y'all go out and check it out. Now, before we uh, go ahead and close up this particular segment, has anybody in the chat room got any questions uh, concerning APRS and or Zaster? Did you actually happen to address what the difference between Zaster and APRS is, or did I miss that at the beginning? Well, Zaster is a program for running APRS, basically. It just... Uh, it's like the uh, Windows equivalent is would be something like uh, UIView32. It's just a front end for the communications, which allows the plotting on the maps and stuff like that. You know, it's kind of like the difference between Safari, Opera, and Firefox. They're all web browsers, but they're just made by different folks. Zaster, UIView32, uh, some of the others, they're they're all just programs that all achieve the same goal. The actual nuts and bolts of it's the X25 protocol, which is generated in Linux, I suppose, through the kernel. I'm not real up on this. I haven't done a lot of uh, packets since I moved my, my machines over to Linux because I never could get the kernel thing squared away. Anybody else? Well, we have a question in the chat room that you can answer. It has to do a little bit with packet radio and APRS, but a little bit to do with data as well. And the question is, can you expound upon the different data modes in ham radio and what their basic throughput is? Because packet radio and APRS tend to be some of the slower mediums for data transfer, but there are others that are faster. Well, there's a whole, oh, man, data, data in amateur radio. There are so many different data modes in amateur radio. Uh, packet, uh, for the most part, is yes fairly slow simply because 
a full protocol AX25 packet depends on the packet going out and then getting an acknowledgement from the receiving station. And depending on channel load, that can slow things way down. Plus the fact, uh, because of the bandwidth due to the baud rate on uh, VHF frequencies and lower, you can't run a real high baud rate. Packet radio on 2 meters or VHF is about 1,200 baud, which is pretty slow. And then you add all the acknowledgments into it, it's really slow. Now, once again, bandwidth, the amount of uh, signal width really makes a difference because, difference because you have modes like uh, Olivia, which can be spread out 250 to 500 to 1,000 kilohertz or hertz. And they run lightning fast. Unfortunately, they don't have any error correction a lot of times. And even something like PSK31, which doesn't have any error correction, can be pretty quick, but you, from time to time, lose a lot of signal. So the actual question was about the different types. You can, you're never going to have internet speeds except in the case of something like D-Star high speed digital. And that's probably going to be the fastest thing. And it's only going to be about 128K connection. Then you have to either be hooked up to another D-Star radio on the other end or a D-Star to Internet Gateway. And those are still kind of few and far between. So what's what's the purpose of D-Star and why is it a high speed? You know, it's close to broadband speed, so why why is it that fast and what's it for? Where the D-Star is concerned, it's, it's more about frequency than anything else. They're able to uh, create at uh, 1.2 gig which is where those radios operate they have the bandwidth to be able to run a signal that wide you know in the case of low speed digital for d-star we're talking about what boils down to about 9600 baud which is still wider than you would expect on vhf and uhf but because of the digital compression of the signal because the uh, signal's digitized digitized instead of analog the uh, bandwidth for a 9600 baud signal or 4800 baud signal is not any wider than 1200 baud analog packet would be. All right, well, there you go. Uh, I'm glad all of you could join us. Thank you all once again. Everybody in the chat room, did I miss anybody? We got Bill, we got uh, KC8BW, we got... Ladies Basement. There you go. Uh, Big Paul, Little Paul, TW, who's apparently in Texas... Ustreamer35842, KJ4PBY in South Florida. And uh, thank you all for showing up this evening. And uh, y'all catch us next time we're live. We're probably going to take a semi-pseudo hiatus. So the next show, uh, next live show will probably be a little while away. But I'll let Russ tell y'all about that. So before I go, I must say to you, if you want to get in touch with me, my name is Richard, KB5JBV. You can contact me at KB5JBV at BlackSparrowMedia.com. KB5JBV at BlackSparrowMedia.com. Or follow me on one of the 8,542 social networks that I am on. Uh, go to one, the other, or all of them and type in KB5JBV and I will, may be there. The ones we can uh, assure you of are friend feed, Twitter, Identica and unfortunately Facebook or as my daughter calls it Glitchbook. So y'all come on by and see us and don't forget to go to the forums over at blacksparrowmedia.com. Go over to blacksparrowmedia.com, click on the forums link and it will take you right in. 
So with that, we're going to toss it over to Russ and let him uh, finish out the show. Take it away, Cheryl. I mean, Russ. Oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right, this is Russ, K5TUX. You can email me at K5TUX at BlackSparrowMedia.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Identica, FriendFeed, Facebook, MySpace, or whatever suits your fancy using the moniker J.R. Woodman. Make sure to leave us feedback. You can leave us feedback by posting a comment on posts at the website at blacksparrowmedia.com stroke LHS. You can post to the forums at blacksparrowmedia.com. There are forums there for Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast, and for Linux in the Hamshack. You can email us questions, comments. You can post questions, comments, and we will get back to you as soon as we can if it is, in fact, a question. You can call us with a question or a comment. That is a toll-free number. The number is 888-455-0305. Once again, that's 888-455-0305. Leave us a voice comment. We'd like to put your questions or comments on the air. You don't get a lot of use out of that, so make me proud and let's hear your voice. And if you would... Go to the website and look on the left-hand side and click on the donate link. If there's something about the program you like or you're just feeling frisky one day and want to help us get to the Dayton Hamvention in 2010 so we can show off our wares to all the ham radio guys who show up there, give us $2 or $5 or $20 or whatever you can spare, even if it's 50 cents, which is less than a cup of coffee, I think, still. Click on that donate button and help us get to Dayton. And as I said, that's on the left-hand side of the lhsinfo.org website. I think that's about all I have from here. Thank everybody for joining us in the chat room. Thanks for downloading us, and we'll see you all in a couple of weeks. So from the starting to get cold in the fall pine forest between the peaks in north-central Arkansas, this is Russ, and down there is Richard. There you go, folks. Down here in the bunker in Bald Springs, Texas. Right next to the Thornhill Bailey Think Tank Think Tank Aurorium. We will see y'all next time. <laughs>